My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is the Technically Speaking Podcast. I sit down with BIPOC designers, entrepreneurs, and technologists. We discuss careers, triumphs, their resilience, and the why behind their decisions. Before we get started with the show, I just wanted to plug our Patreon. If you like what you're listening to and you want to support the podcast, for as low as $3, you can contribute monthly to help support the production of the show. You can contribute today by heading over to patreon.com slash technically speaking HW. I'll also include the link in the show notes. Hey everybody, my name is Harrison Wheeler and welcome to another episode of Technically Speaking. My guest today is Stephen Wakabayashi, who is the founder and CEO director of Stranger Creative and founder of nonprofit QT BIPOC Design and the host on and off of the, the Yellow Glitter podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. So before we get started, how are things out there on the East Coast? Like how has been life sort of post lockdown? Has it been like, is it like a summer of freeness? Like what, what was going on? What's happening? To tell you the truth, I just got COVID last week. Ah, I had, ha, ha. <laughs> Damn it. I know. I had actually avoided it for the past two years. This is my first time getting it. And the past week, I've just been down for the count. Yeah, my hot girl summer has been hard COVID summer. And <laughs> but overall, I think the city, it's interesting. It's you can't yeah. tell COVID's really happening, but it's happening. And so yeah. I got sick. Some of my friends got sick. I think we're weathering it. But what I do appreciate yeah. is the winter season seems like it's over and yes. the sun's out. People are out in t-shirts, hanging out the park. And so I think overall the mood feels much more alive in the city. Yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. Out here, they're actually doing indoor mask mandates again. So very, very interesting times. So I want to get started with a few icebreakers in the first, what is something that you're currently obsessed with? Yeah. Something I'm obsessed with right now is, so I have a little obsession right now with making slime. It's like so random. <laughs> it just started off as a pandemic hobby. And it was just uh, like, obviously you're indoors, you have nothing to do. And yeah. I was just watching all these peachy baby videos. It's <laughs> just like big slime. Wait, never... what kind of videos? It's called Peachy Babies. It's this company, Peachy BBYS. Um, okay. And I could just never get a hold of any other slimes. It just keeps selling out. And so I took it upon myself, started making some of it in my kitchen. And it's just become this like little hobby. <laughs> it's so random, fascinating. And I'm just gifting it out to random people too. So they're like, okay, this is cool, Stephen. <laughs> What does it do for you? Does it do anything for you? Is it like a relaxing? Is it the process of creating it? Is it playing around with it? Like <laughs> So it's funny because the process of creating it, it's... <laughs> It's just basically Elmer's glue and borax. You just mix it up and then you add a bunch of different ingredients in it. I've actually been trying to actually make more skin positive, skin healthy slime. So I've been using high quality lotion as well as essential oils in it. So Ow. after you play with it, your hands feel really moisturized. What? It feels really good. It smells like eucalyptus. It's a thing. What? <laughs> this is so kind of mind blowing. 
This, it's, I mean, it's kind of mind blowing now because now it's like skincare. What? It kind of is. And I was like, imagine if you could just make a face mask, but it's slime. But I kind of done it for your hands. And so you just play with it. And then your hands afterwards feel moisturized and it smells really good. So hmm. <laughs> hmm. Okay. pandemic hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Is Does anyone sell something like this on the market? Or is this like, you know, you're <laughs> not have you thought I've about seen. it? Not that I've seen, but I, <laughs> I've not thought about it yet, but it's a random pandemic hobby that I've picked up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I was not expecting that. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Next question. How would people describe you in like maybe two or three words? Yeah. Very eclectic, I think would be one. <laughs> That's the slime making. And I guess the second word is just very passionate. Mm. So myself, I have a myriad of different interests, hobbies, but also I think the biggest life-changing thing. So just rewinding into my history a little bit, I've been in the design space for quite some time, especially in the advertising space, worked with many of the big ad agencies, lots of clients across New York, San Francisco, and a bunch part of the world, California, Los Angeles, San Diego. And basically I hit a really rough patch with my health mm. that ended me in the hospital for a few months. And it was a great opportunity to really reflect in my life, what I wanted to do, end up deciding to move and study meditation, travel around the world for a bit. And after that, I decided to create mission-driven organizations in both the nonprofit and private sector. And so going back to kind of how people describe me, eclectic in the sense that just a myriad of interests right now, a ton of interests in equity within the space of design. How do we integrate it with the shoulders of mindfulness and integrate it as mm. a part of it, but also extremely passionate, which is how do yeah. we bring people together through a myriad of different life experiences. And so Right now, I'm running three organizations. One is called Mindful Sites, which is on democratizing access for mindfulness for marginalized communities, thinking about how we can give access to different methodologies of just not just relaxing, but the concept of mindfulness and meditation, specifically mm. centered around BIPOC lived experiences. I also run a nonprofit organization called QT BIPOC Design, like you had mentioned, which is around a big passion of mine in the design industry on accelerating queer BIPOC talent to be successful within the design industry. Mm. Big pain point that I've seen in the space. And I was just like, it just needs to happen. <laughs> and lastly, Stranger Creative. This is more of a recent ambition over the past few years, which is on not just designing apps and websites for clients, but thinking about how do we institutionalize methodologies to think about mm. how do we create them equitably thinking about you know facebook instagram social media platforms and many other digital experiences that aren't really the most equitable i think we have a due diligence especially in creating new product into the world to think about how we can impact people in a more positive equitable inclusive manner so long-winded answer <laughs> to yeah many interests but ultimately i think i'm just really passionate at just helping people helping people become successful, helping our communities. Yeah. Well, I think with that, though, it's very focused in terms of the areas where you're focusing your energy, right? Yeah. It just seems like you have a lot of clarity around sort of like that mission and that purpose. So thank you for taking us through that. And we'll dive into some of that, you know, later in the show. I've got one more. Okay. Yeah. And what is something that you don't think is talked about enough? Yeah. I mean, it's a kind of a two-part answer. I think right now, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion are such hot buzzwords, right? 
But I don't think what we're talking about is actually how we institutionalize the changes that we need, you know? I think the buzzwords are super hot in terms of how we brand products, right? How we market companies, how we market initiatives, but actual change and actual impact, I don't think we've even been at the precipice of just yet. You know, I think the way in which we ran even design methodologies as inclusive, I see it sometimes as over-glorified focus groups. When in fact, I think it is about how we think about the systems of power, systems of capitalism, systems of prioritizing people over profits and product, right? Within our systems and within the ways that we think think that I think some organizations are just starting to do, but you know, I think what we're not talking about more is really impact. How are we getting the impact in some of these things that we keep talking about every single day? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's sort of like, what is the output of what that looks like? And it's not super clear. And a lot of it feels like vanity metrics, right? Because it's representation. Mm -hmm. Representation doesn't equate to, like you mentioned before, institutional changes. So I love that. So we'll into that more too. But first off, who is Steve? Tell us about yourself. Yeah. And you can give us the abridged version, okay? We don't have an hour. The abridged version. Go to my website. (laughs) Just a really creative and passionate individual who, growing up, did not have the tools to pursue creativity. Mm. And so I grew up in Los Angeles and had been enamored in computers and design and computers and programming for the since as early as I can remember. But the school I went, family dynamics, social dynamics, never really supported a lot of these technologies or the mm. design and creativity. And so I ended up going to college, studying medicine to be a doctor. And surprisingly, yeah, I know it's like good Asian child. And now you're making slime on your free yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, exactly. It's the pinnacle. It's the fullest 360. Exactly. But, you know, I just never had the tools. But it's really funny that it wasn't until my medical school advisor had actually said to me to, you know, take this gap here. It's like super popular now. Everyone's doing it before med school. See what you can do with it. And so then I decided to go freelance. Some of the stuff that I had been doing as hobbies, freelance around San Diego at the time, different companies, private, public, or private, nonprofit, in-house, ad agencies. And I ended up at this ad agency that I love the culture. I love the people, love like the myriad of projects, mm. total ADHD, right? Where you have like a myriad of clients. You can work on so many things, touch on so many things, do yeah. so many things in your role. And, and you've got, you've got all the resources. Exactly. Exactly. And the whole team to back it up of just also passionate people. And so yeah. I then haven't looked back. At the time, I started my career first as a web developer, full-stack web developer, and over time, uh, transitioned into design, transitioned to UX. I think, you know, as you and I both know, like back in the day, right, there was no UX and there was no codified rule for it. You know, developers had to do it, designers had to do it. And I think what's beautiful now is we're starting to see more specialized roles, right, as these organizations mature some of their practices. But yeah, it took me many, many years to kind of land into what I'm doing now which is basically leading a small studio, helping create websites, applications, and really grooming talent in-house, but also through the nonprofit in terms of 
who do we want to see in the room creating these products? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, especially for myself who comes from an unconventional background, I yeah. think that's what really is a big motivation and a big reason of why I create these initiatives and create these platforms and these spaces for people who also come from unconventional backgrounds to be successful. Right. Because I think, especially within the realm of creativity, right? Yeah. It's so guarded and so inaccessible, especially for people yeah. who don't come up with it. And was so, that was that something yeah. you experienced like when you went, like immediately once you got in or is that something over time? I think it took me a long time, you know, especially as somebody who doesn't like the majority and minority in the realm of design and creativity. I think as you're up and coming, right, you first want to be successful. You yeah. want to do well. And so you take on a lot of these traits and a lot of these roles that you don't really see as inequitable in the beginning, but you just see right. it as I have to take on these like perfectionism mentality, right? right? I have to see ego. I have to see all these things as a part of like how to be successful. But it wasn't until I had created a footing for myself and actually able to finally take a step back and reflect. And I think the big health scare was a big factor as a part of it, right? Mm. You know, working 16 hour long days, night right. and day, also working my team to the bone. Like it was not healthy. And it wasn't until mm. I was at the point of just reflecting on like, oh, you know, my gosh, I really need to reflect on my health or else I'm going to pay the consequences that right. really opened my eyes to figure out what did I really want to impart as a part of my legacy, not just for myself, but within the space, right? It's not just this egotistical legacy, right? Of like the world, sure. but just like with my team, for example, right? Like, yeah. what do I want to impart with? But it's funny how it's not until we hit these moments where we hit a wall, right? Mm. We have an opportunity to reflect, take a sip back and just reevaluate what it is that we want to put forth. But I mean, yeah. short answer to it definitely took a lot of self-work to get to this sure. point. Sure. To be able to create space. Right. Humbly. Yeah. Was this a situation though? Was this a situation where everyone was just working like crazy or did you realize that you were the one working harder than anyone else or was it both? I think it's both. You see everyone around you working really hard. Yeah. I think that's a little bit of a toxic trait of the agency space, right? Where everyone is yeah. just put to the grinder every single day because yeah. you're not setting the deadlines, right? Clients are. So the clients get into this bad habit of, you know, working everyone to the bone. But I also think the other part is as a design industry or as a product industry, the concept of perfectionism, right? Where one, the fallacy that there is a concept of something being perfect, right? And then two, like you're not good until you're perfect. And so mm -hmm. just killing myself night and day to just like keep yeah. tinkering at stuff until I thought, I was like, oh, it's not good. I'm not good, you know? Mm. And I think it was just both killing of myself plus my yeah. community that we brought yeah. upon ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering like, so I've been in a situation where I've definitely worked myself too much. And, you know, you're right. Like the work shows itself physically, mm -hmm. right? A lot of people think it's sort of like a mental game and all of that, but it starts to have effects physically and then obviously mentally. I know yeah. for me, I was in what you would consider creative rut for probably close to five, six years. Because I think people like have this like false idea that like, oh, let me take a week off. We'll be good. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I'm going to work. I'm going to kill myself so that I'm going to have this vacation, relax yeah. and literally go back to killing myself and then yeah. look forward to that one vacation again. Like. <laughs> No, it's not, healthy. it's not healthy. Like, did you find yourself in a situation where it took you a while to find that joy again? Yes. Because I think for me, the creativity piece wasn't about making, just making. It was how I felt. And I didn't mm -hmm. have that feeling. 
Yeah. And I don't know, was that something that you'd kind of felt like at that point? And I know you kind of mentioned that you, you took some time off, but was that yeah. to kind of really resuscitate some of that? Resuscitate a ton, literally. Like I was in cardiac arrest and it was just bad, yeah. bad, bad. I would say the interesting thing about creativity too is this concept that perfectionism will somehow make us happy. Yeah. And it really is not about the destination and is about really the every single day, the journey, the day in, day out. And if you can't love that process, it, you're in for a bad trip, right? And that took me a long time to learn because in this position, right, you know, there's supposedly this one project that's going to look this one way that somehow is going to give us everything that we're seeking and desiring but rather it's quite the opposite. And if we keep chasing after this rush again and again and again, it's setting ourselves up for really bad expectation. Mm. And I think for myself, it was also with burnout, right? With just having yeah. worked so long for so just really depleting every single resource that I had, right? Mentally, physically, emotionally. And I mean, I think that's a difficult part of career in the creative industry is that you really put your heart on the line. But at the same time, I think you, especially as you mature, you learn to take everything with a grain of salt, right? And I think the big break that I had to take was a big reset of that, of just figuring out what type of energy I wanted to come into my work with, what I wanted to cultivate every single day. And I think it was also rewinding a lot lot of these very unhealthy ways of thinking about yeah. perfectionism, about ego, about success, right? right. Um, thinking that it has to be better to be right. successful. I think when we always see life as a race, it's going to feel like a race. Right. And it's not until we just expand ourselves to understanding one, there's so many ways of seeing perfection. Yeah. It's also very biased, but also I think it's about allowing ourselves to be perfect. I think it's a really mm. important aspect. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that like I'm picking up on is that yeah. there's, there's obviously some cultural significance to that. There's obviously some industry kind of things to that. But one thing that you touched on briefly when we were doing the introduction is sort of like your identity and, mm. you know, not necessarily fitting the mold. Mm. I think kind of like there's a lot of learning here, um, but, you know, just kind of thinking about, you know, the agency work that you started around like Stranger Creative and, and QT BIPOC, sort of like how has like your identity played a role in the, the moves that you've made and sort of like, where do you see, you know, still a lot of opportunity around this. Yeah, I will say, you know, I take on projects. I'm usually in very high, you know, level ranking rooms with executives from myriad of different companies. And I rarely find people who are like me, whether they're both queer and BIPOC, queer and Asian, or just even BIPOC, or just even queer yeah. alone, right? I myself identify as a, a gay Asian man, and rarely do I find anybody like me within the spaces. And so one, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done at who's in the space and who's making the decisions, not just from like a performative sake, but really from a collective decisioning sake, right? As we talk about products, for example, that go into right. market, it's going to touch a whole myriad of communities. And when we don't have representatives from a myriad of life experiences to help educate us, right? And make decisions to be more inclusive of different identities, we see what's happening with some of the products that's hitting the market today, right? right. Such as social media platforms and the issue with bullying 
especially as it impacts right queer and BIPOC populations. But I think especially with how that inspired me to take on the work, first part is, especially when it comes to the work of inclusion, equity, we sometimes, at least that was the biggest pain point that I saw and that I'm trying to meet with QT BIPOC design is that we are saying we want to invite these people into the room and hire these people, but nobody's doing the training, right? Nobody's doing the education, nobody's doing the mentorship, nobody's doing the grooming of these people. And so really the organization was really a love letter to the queer BIPOC community, understanding that there needs to be a way in which we take in people who come really with no education whatsoever, right? And we have to create a bridge for them to be able to hit some of these job descriptions that are in the market. But then also we have senior talent who also need mentorship guidance, but not through the guise of, unfortunately, a lot of un <laughs> inequitable white leaders, right? And white leadership. And so together we're creating some sort of internal mentorship also for some of our senior talent to get some of these know-hows to be successful in their spaces. And then I think with Stranger Creative, the one thing that I really love about the organization is the myriad of talent that we've been yeah. able to hire within our organization. And so every single talent so far that we have from our project managers to our designers comes from an identity that is historically marginalized. We have queer people, BIPOC people, we have women. And what is really beautiful is, especially when we go into brainstorming, solutioning, ideating, the vibe in that space is very different from the vibe in many of the agencies that I have been a part of. Right. And so I think long-winded answer to answer your question is just the importance of really representation with yeah. the people that we work with and work around, I think has a huge, huge impact, not just to the work and the result, but also to liveliness every yeah. single day. And going back to the concept of burnout too, right? Right. When we get, again, like this one type of success, one type of perfectionism, one type of working, we get burnout because we've really exhausted ourselves right. in one direction. But when we bring a myriad of ideas and perspectives into the room and we really spread ourselves to be more collective, it mm -hmm. feels a lot more healing and nurturing. Yeah. Is that vibe yeah. you speak of? Is it more because people feel like they belong? And, you know, I, I know these can sound like, you know, buzzwords, but I mean, to actually experience being yourself <laughs> allows for more expression. Is that kind of like the vibe that you're looking to a little bit more? Yes. Absolutely. And sometimes we forget that even as simple as the words we choose, right? And the diction mm. that we pick. And while it might even seem harmless, institutionalized gender norms, right? Institutionalized yeah. inequity, you know, chairmen, right? Like if mm. we keep talking about chairmen, obviously there's some, you know, unconscious biases that's happening, equating men being in that role of leadership, right? As we talk about guys and using the word guys as a collective bargaining, you know, method to bring people together. Why is it the notion that it's through the center of men, right, that we bring right. people together? And right. so I think a big part of it is also seeing how people talk about themselves, mm. about them, their communities coming together. So that's just the diction aspect, right? But also I think right. ways of working and celebrating different ways of working has been a huge opportunity to learn. Mm. Given the pandemic, I think, right, right, ways of working have completely shifted in our head. And, you know, with some uh, team members, we have completely complete, you know, no camera, right? And it just feels so much more nourishing and nurturing for our relationship right. that way. For some people, we really love and appreciate when cameras are on. And so 
I think mm. what's been really beneficial is also giving people in the platform to voice and articulate their needs. Yeah. I also have a one-on-one -on -one with everyone through a regular interval and basis to kind of just ask, you know, the single question of how can I and how can the organization show up for you more? And yeah. it's a great opportunity for people to just talk about what they need. And of course, you know, it's a matter of taking that in as an inventory and then finding middle grounds. But I think just in terms of leading a whole myriad of different identities has been yeah. able to at least educate myself of thinking about ways that we can make it more collective and more nourishing. And right. the byproduct is something that you look forward to, something that you enjoy being right. a part of, something that you feel supports you in ways that you haven't been supported before. Right. One of the things that sticks out to me is like you kind of talk about like dictation and vernacular. I know that was one of the, the biggest challenges for me navigating into the UX industry after working for almost a decade, self-learning, coding and freelancing, you know, people would close the door on me because I wasn't saying certain words. And I think what I love about kind of like what you're talking to is that you've kind of flipped the way that, you know, your team works, processes, but you're still creating impactful output, right? And that's what matters, right? There isn't only one type of way to, to work and one type of way to talk about things. And, you know, I think providing that space where people can see that there are other ways, in my opinion, is, is very powerful. And we need more stories like that. Super curious. So you, you kind of talk about, you know, the work that you're doing around your, your agency. Like what are some of the, the methods that you use to approach more equitable problem spaces? You know, is this something that you've kind of been noodling on for a while or is this something that, you know, your teams collectively kind of landed on? Yeah. So a few things. I think there's been a lot of amazing work by many organizations such as Creative Reaction Lab, Project Inkblot, that focus on how we can bring the community into our work. Historical contexts of spaces, thinking about reconstituting power. And one thing that we're trying to add to the mix as an organization with Stranger Creative right now are just different heuristics that we can bring that measure safety, that measure autonomy, that measure transparency. And so I think that's a big thing as a part of social liberation movement is just how are we adding to the mix rather than we're just creating things separately. But one thing I saw as a big gap was really the assessment of first, the way in which we're using data and the way in which we are having an actual tangible impactful output based on data for our users, uh, I think is a big missed opportunity. And so we're including that as a part of our security indexes that we're doing with heuristics for different clients in terms of actually measuring the expected outcome for let's say we're doing an onboarding flow, right? And we collect about 10 different data points, ranging from gender, birthday, all these different attributes, right? And the question of, are we really returning the investment that the users are putting in? Nine times mm -hmm. out of 10, a lot of experiences really don't give you much <laughs> after putting in this information, right? At the same time, this information is used inequitably, extracting more information for users, creating experiences um, around just the ad revenue model, right? And mm -hmm. so as a part of the way in which we're looking at just for example, one of the pillars is security as a whole. How is data being output? How's being data being managed? How is data being transparently shown to the individual, right? But at the same time, how are we creating a system in which we are keeping the individuals safe in the system, right? One analogy I like to give is when we add inclusivity, for example, to an inequitable system, it furthers inequity. So imagine you have an analogy of we've created a pit of fire and we make the pit of fire more inclusive, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, come along. We invite everyone. Everyone's allowed in this pit of fire, right? Uh, we laugh now, but what we're yeah. seeing in the design industry is this, where we're adding these band-aids of inclusivity to inequitable right. systems, right? And so right. what we're trying to do is also not just taking a look at some of these measurement indexes of how we're using pieces of content in a more tangible output for users, but also taking one, a step back and reflecting at, okay, do we need to collect this information? Is this experience in which we're creating viable, useful for the user, right? And what we're proposing with the clients that we work with is not just, you know, also thinking about, you know, data use, security, but then also thinking about the company as a whole, right? Do you yeah. want to stick around for the long term? Right. How do you want to play a role with the way in which you're creating financial businesses, right? Financial business models that are equitable, that are symbiotic with our communities. Another part is thinking about how we create, for example, personas more equitably. Right. Oftentimes, personas are created targeting the most vulnerable populations rather than mm. the populations in which we can make the most impact, right. which is really interesting, right? Mm. We're creating persona models to identify the biggest vulnerabilities to then capitalize on. And so right. these things we're starting to point out to businesses and they're going, oh my gosh, like I didn't really realize this. And a big part, a big aha for us as an agency and as an organization is seeing the shift UX that's been happening with our industry towards more yeah. of a BX model, right? Business experience. Mm -hmm. Well, we've created all these different methodologies to ultimately serve the business. And if we truly want to rewind and take it back to UX, user experience, or HX, human experience, I think we're going to create better products, yeah. business models, more sustainable businesses, and a healthier future for us all. Yeah. Thank you for taking us through that. And it seems like there is a lot of thinking that's kind of come from that. And I, I want to segue into sort of like the last topic is around sort of like mindfulness, right? So, you know, you've got your own sort of sub stack where, you know, you're publishing some journals on mindfulness and just thoughts that you have. Maybe kind of take us through kind of like what that path has been like and ultimately how have you seen that sort of change the way that you work and what is some advice you might have for some of our listeners yeah great three-pronged question the first part yeah, is, i know i, I put I'd i layered it up for you <laughs> i love it the first part is i think kind of my journey into it ironically when i had the health issue i turned to meditation not as a way to heal but as a mm. potential way to cope with the impending death mm. it just got so bad to a point where i i was told by doctors you know just prepare for anything <laughs> and oh, no. i just really struggled with the possibility mm. that my time here on earth was coming to an end and, and so I started meditating as a way to just start grappling with it. And ironically, it's not until we hear the message that things shift, especially when it comes to health, that when I started deeply meditating to a point where I just was letting go of all these things that I was holding so deeply onto, that my body was able to finally relax, take in the healing. I absolutely loved the change and it transformed my way of thinking, being I ended up studying meditation across different countries in India, France, the UK, around the United States. Japan, Thailand, India, and as a part of kind of the exploration of meditation, finding this interesting concept of mindfulness that I think it's just this concept of how do we encourage more presentness, right, into the work that we do, just broadly speaking. And so that's kind of the root and the crux of the work that I do. And what I write about mindful sites and so many things is just how do we become more present with mm -hmm. what we're creating, how we're treating one another, how we're treating ourselves. And 
I think this is so impactful, especially as the work that we do, right, in the day-to-day is so often we're living in the future or we're living in the past. And when it comes to even the concept of perfectionism, right, is this living in the future that we persistently do that dictates everything. That's perfectionism. And when it comes to just presentness, why it's really important is ultimately, right, we're not guaranteed the future. We're not guaranteed one year, five year, 10 years, right? I mean, given global warming, like who knows, right? But we are guaranteed right now, right here and now. And sometimes we forget how beautiful that is, right? Mm. And we sometimes don't realize that until it's too late, right? When we have people passing, when we have people getting sick, when we get sick, we start to reminisce on the past. But the past is actually also the present now. And so I think why this is important is when we enter the present, we can resolve so many conflicts, for example, right? We can start to become more tuned with people, how they're feeling. We can start to create spaces that serve people more in the present because this is what's really important, right? And then lastly, as we think about society as a whole, I think we really need to come into the present of understanding what are people just really feeling societally as a community and how do we just step up and listen, right? Mm. Enough of like the hypotheticals, enough of like we create all these like crazy scenarios, but I think what we don't do enough of is just opening our ears and hearts to what's happening right now and the struggles and the pain that people are going through Mm. and just being open to it. And so I think that's the beauty of mindfulness is that it allows us to really come into the present and really the only tangible thing that we have right now. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That was profound and and very eloquently spoken. So thank you for, for taking me through that. Of course. How can some of that be, you know, how does that show up in terms of how you might approach a project? Yeah, I think what I always say is this is advice that I always give to people that I mentor, but also people within our organizations is every single time we approach a new project, we also have to take into consideration it's a new project, it's a new budget, it's a new team, it's a new context, it's a new time. And so often we try to replicate success based on what's happened before. And we tell ourselves to a point to replicate that machine, right? We want efficiency. We want all these things. Sure, right? As humans, we just inherently want to have reduced workload because we just want to continue to survive. It's a survival instinct. But when we think about creating an environment for others to be successful, we have to let go of previous things that may have worked, especially when we work with different people, different clients, or just a different moment in time. And how this shows up, at least in the way that I work, is I try to come in with really fresh just really fresh blank slate into different projects that I come in. And, you know, even the concept of like the vision of what we want to achieve. I try really hard, especially as a leader, not to go in with this preconceived notion because at the end of the day, it's something that we have to build collectively as a group and not just a vision that I have like myself. And especially for leaders, especially design leaders, if you cannot figure out how to build that vision with other people, Mm. it's really hard for other people to show up authentically as themselves and to really put in a piece of themselves because you're not accepting it, right? Right. And so I think that's the biggest thing that at least the concept of mindfulness is coming into projects is how do I show up in the present is mm. to try to put aside all these things that I'm, it's this, this weight, almost this burden sometimes I'm carrying with me from previous projects maybe past traumas <laughs> that right. I'm trying to solve, right? Trying to mitigate against that I then inflict and share upon. But anyway, and I think that blank slate has been so, so, so beneficial, not just for myself, yeah. but also for other members, right? To right. truly finally show up. And what does it feel like to show up? Hmm. 
Yeah. I think that part is very striking because I think, you know, being a minority or from marginalized community, there is a lot of trauma and it does take some additional effort to not yeah. have that as a lens. So, you know, this is really great. And we can, we can close out on here. This was amazing. Yeah. I think there's a lot of really great advice and thank you for taking us down some of that difficult path that you've gone through. Cause I, I know it takes level of vulnerability to do that. And I appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Before we close out, how can people connect with, with Steve and are you on the internets? Do you want to be left alone? Maybe, maybe tell us how to connect. <laughs> yeah. So you can find me on social at Steven, S-C-E-V-E-N, Wakabayashi, W-A-K-A-B-A-Y-A-S-H-I. But unfortunately on Twitter, I'm just at Waku, W-A-K-U-U. They have a 15 character limit for username. My last name is too long. And then, yeah, you can find my projects through there. If you want to read my regular writing, it's mindfulmoments.substack.com. And then organizations, uh, check them out, strangercreative.com is our ad agency qtbipoc.design is our nonprofit accelerating education for queer BIPOC folks in the design industry and then lastly mindfulsites.org is our organization making mindfulness more equitable for communities who are less represented within the space feel free to that it? Me. that's cool. all the stuff that I have <laughs> well well thank you so much hopefully you, you get over the whole COVID thing sooner thank than later you. and and hopefully you can get out there and enjoy that New York summer. I know it's a special place in the summertime. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. This was a, a great conversation. Really enjoyed talking to you. And yeah, everyone be safe. <laughs> Take care of yourself. COVID is no joke. But if you do get it, a lot of compassion for you in the process just heal you know just take care of yourself collectively i think we're going through a big <laughs> shock as a world mm. you know going through pandemic we're going through oh. natural disasters and it's just i think we just really need to again on the topic of mindfulness like show for yourself be present for yourself be kind mm. to yourself be kind to yourself yes give yourself a little bit of grace right yeah a lot of it a lot of it all the grace well, that concludes the show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge way to show your support and it really helps us reach more people and grow our following. By the way, we release a new episode every two weeks, but in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or YouTube at Technically Speaking HW. Again, thanks so much and I'll see you next time.